Hello, my name is Jake Blackwood. I'm a member at Mercy House. Uh, I'm going to be sharing with you today a sermon uh, that's coming from my living room, not in front of the congregation. Uh, so if you don't hear any laughing at my jokes, that's, that's why. It's not because the jokes are bad, but because nobody's here to laugh at them. So we're still dealing with some technical issues related to the new sound booth, so that's why I'm recording in my living room today instead of in front of the congregation. Um, so if you have listened to the past three weeks uh, of sermons, uh, then you know that we're working through a four-week series on prayer where we've been considering different kinds of prayer and the pattern of prayer we find in Scripture and how and why we should be praying all of these types of prayer. So if, you're, if you haven't listened to those sermons, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the previous three weeks. And I want you to know that I don't feel like I'm an expert uh, in prayer, either by knowledge or by practice. However, I have been greatly encouraged by the preaching of Austin and Robert over the past couple of weeks, and I hope you, that what I have to share with you today from Scripture will serve to encourage you in your prayer life and not discourage you by, um, by pretending that I have something down that I, I really haven't mastered yet. So um, as, we've, as uh, I've just mentioned, we've been working through a series that follows the common acronym ACTS, or A-C-T-S. Uh, and we've had three sermons so far, uh, each on the first three letters. So A is for adoration, uh, the practice of acknowledging God for who he is and all of his transcendent glory, of recognizing and reveling in the character of God, uh, and how he infinitely surpasses anything we see in ourselves. Then we move from A uh, to C. So C is for con confession. Uh, we move from beholding God's fullness, and then we reflect on our own lack in relation to God, and in relation to what he's created us to be. Uh, so we're called to be holy as he is holy. And it's not like we miss that by just a little bit. Um, we are pervasively corrupted and broken, and we need to be saved from the work of our own hands. So that's where T comes in. So T is for thanksgiving. Thanks be to God, he provided a way for us to be reconciled to him through the work of Christ Jesus. We give thanks to God not only for the work of the cross, working out his plan of redemption for us, but also for the infinite number of ways in which he sustains his creation, providing for us as individuals and as a church. So we've gone through A, C, T, A, C, and T. So in light of God, who God is, uh, that's our adoration, and what we are, that's our confession, and what he has done for us, that's our thanksgiving, we now come to our final letter, which is S for supplication. Now, I think the logic of the ACT portion of this is relatively clear. Uh, although, if I'm honest, I think it could be cats or tax. Uh, from time to time, I think you can reorder some of those things. Uh, I'll stop there with the various per permutations. But you know, the S in particular is, is appropriately placed since I think the three prior types of prayer really provide the right trajectory of thought for how to approach God with our requests. And that's what supplication is, in short. It's our making requests to God, or petitioning God, if you like. It comes from the Latin word to plead humbly. Uh, so we can see that it is fitting that acts of adoring, confessing to, and thanking God really prime our hearts for approaching the throne humbly with our requests. There are certainly instances in Scripture uh, where petitionary prayer appears in isolation. So Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is one uh, prominent example. But oftentimes, implicit here in Scripture is, is there's someone who's living out a life of praise and thanksgiving. So those other types of prayer 
uh, are sort of implied in lots of ways. Now, petitionary prayer itself, I think, in, in many ways, is the easiest part of prayer. We're very uh, much in tune with things that we want and need. But on the other hand, you know, we may struggle to reconcile the idea of a good and all-powerful God uh, with this need for petitionary prayer. And so I think there are several ways we may then think about petitionary prayer or tend to think about petitionary prayer, uh, given this sort of confusion. And, and, and I'm going to lay out some of them for you here right now, at least ways that I'm tempted to think about petitionary prayer. So we might tend to think of God as this sort of wish granter, this genie that you know, we make requests to about anything we desire, uh, so long as they're not inherently sinful. And God will help us. God will help me do well on my test. He will help me get a promotion, not get the flu. Uh, and with some probability between zero and one, uh, God grants it. So I'll use the t statistical term here. He's like a stochastic genie. So he randomly uh, grants these requests. So that may be one way we're tempted to think about petitionary prayer. But we might also be tempted to think about it as a type of therapy, um, a somewhat helpful version of this is that prayer is refocusing us on uh, God's sovereignty through our requests, relieving us from our anxiety in the process. So we're aligning ourselves with God's will, resting on his sovereignty, and that, um, and that relaxes us in some way. That relieves us of, of anxiety. And um, So that's sort of the helpful version. There may be a more cynical version, which is that prayer is really just a, a placebo effect, um, where we're sort of tricking ourselves into thinking that God is helping us. Um, rather than actually uh, seeing the real effects of, of, of that prayer. Um, a more, or, or recently, a, a growing view, I think, amongst, within our culture is that um, it's not just that prayer is ineffective, petitionary prayer is ineffective, but it's actually harmful in the sense that it gives people an idea that they're doing something when in reality they're actually neglecting to act as they should or care for their neighbor. So that's why things like thoughts and prayers are a punchline today based on sort of the flippancy and frequency with which people throw it out there in response to various crises. So starkly put, you can see all these various ways of thinking about prayer. Uh, I'm not going to hold it strictly to any of these, uh, and there's lots to critique about them, but maybe there are some parts of these uh, ways of thinking about prayer that are right. Um, and so we're going to be thinking about why we petition God, uh, and do we actually expect him to answer, um, and whether or not it matters how we pray. So before I dive into uh, how we're going to talk about petitionary prayer, I want to read one more time our, our passage from today. Uh, so it's Philippians 4, verses 4 through 13. Give everyone a minute to find that in your Bible. The text says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. 
I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So, starting from this passage and returning to this passage often, I want to uh, think about four questions uh, with respect to petitionary prayer that we can draw out from this scripture as well as other scriptures. I'll jump around a little bit, so it's not just going to be focused on this scripture, but um, in general, scriptures related to petitionary prayer throughout the Bible. Um, and the four questions that I'm going to ask today, that we're going to address today, are why should we pray prayers of supplication? Second, how or in what manner should we go about petitioning God? Third, what should we petition God about? What, we, what should we be asking him for? And fourth, who should pray prayers of supplication? So that's why, how, what, and who uh, with respect to, to supplication. So I'm going to dive right in and start talking about why we should be praying. And I'm going to give you three reasons. The first reason uh, is that God commands us to pray. So Ephesians 6.18, Paul, Paul tells the Ephesians to keep praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So as we've seen with other types of prayer uh, in the series, that God is commanding us to pray in this way, uh, to bring requests to him. So if for nothing else, the, the command of God should be a good reason for us to pray, but it's not limited to, the benefits of, of prayer are not limited uh, to just uh, the fulfillment of God's, uh, God's desires for us. Um, we actually benefit from the act itself. So the second reason, uh, so the first reason that, is that God commands us to pray. The second reason is that we benefit from the act. So in, in verses six through seven uh, of the text that we just read, we see Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So it's good for us to be consistently uh, in communication with our Father, and that calms our anxiety. So bringing requests before the throne of an all-powerful God should comfort us. You know, he's continually holding the existence of the universe together. He can probably handle our, our requests. And it's not just a relief that comes about because of this, helping us to sleep better at night. Uh, it actually is guarding us from doubts that creep in and threaten our faith and our assurance in the gospel. It's more than just, uh, and this is more than just some side effect from praying. This is actually, the phrase here is, don't be anxious. It's a command. Uh, so Paul's saying, knock it off, right? So, you know, when we feel anxiety begin to rise in us, you know, like when we're preparing to preach a sermon, for example, it's, it's, it's tightening, in our, tightening our chest, right? Uh, we should reflexively turn to God because we are commanded to turn that anxiety over to him. So uh, the first reason that we should pray is because God commands us to. The second is that we benefit from that act uh, in and of itself. Uh, and the third reason we should pray is that petitionary prayer works. So any relief that's coming from uh, bringing our requests to God or pleading with God, it would be misplaced if God didn't really answer prayers. Uh, so 
we have the assurance that he does hear us. Uh, in John uh, 14, 14, Jesus tells us, ask anything in my name and I will do it. And first, in 1 John 5, 14, we read that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And for, beyond that, the, the record of scripture is clear. God answers and responds favorably to prayer. So just a few examples that, uh, that I have here from the Old and New Testament. In Genesis 18, for example, Abraham pleads with God on behalf of Sodom, and God agrees to spare Sodom if ten righteous men can be found. Uh, so spoiler, spoiler alert there, that doesn't actually happen, uh, but God is responding favorably to Abraham's uh, pleading. In Genesis 20, 17, Abraham prays and God heals Abimelech. Uh, in Numbers 12, 13 through 15, it's one of numerous instances where Moses inquires of God, but in this case, uh, Moses prays for Miriam to be healed and, and God does it. Uh, Elijah in 1 Kings 17, 20 through 21, prays for a widow's son to be brought back to life and God does it. Uh, David in Psalm 138, 3, on the day I call, says, on the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. Hezekiah and Isaiah in 2 Chronicles 32, 20 through 21. Uh, they pray to God and God delivers them in battle. Uh, in Luke 1, 13, but the, the, angel of, uh, the angel comes to Zechariah and says that his prayers have been answered. And that his wife Elizabeth is going to bear, bear him a son. Uh, in Acts 12, 5, we also see that, uh, or in Acts 12 in general, uh, we see Peter is thrown in prison. Uh, and through the prayers of the church, he's miraculously uh, released, um, guided out of the prison by an angel. Uh, so these are just some examples that I've, that I've sort of picked out of, out of Scripture that show that prayer works in the context of, uh, of, of scripture that, that God is answering prayers. And I think beyond that context, we also can look into our own lives and think of, uh, examples where we've seen prayer answered. And I would encourage you to talk to other members of Mercy House if you're, if you're, you're curious about people having answered prayers. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. I mentioned that we moved here, uh, uh, about a year and a half ago, or at least I mentioned this, uh, uh, on Sunday. And as soon as we moved here, uh, our children were like almost immediately plagued with with various types of illness, colds, you know, that they're passing back and forth, uh, mostly harmless stuff, right? Uh, just kids getting sick, and you know, it was pretty pretty manageable. But one week, our oldest Parker, it was a, this was in the late fall uh, around Thanksgiving, our oldest got sick uh, with what we later found out to be a very fast progressing pneumonia. So within an hour of playing outside. She all of a sudden starts to pass out. Uh, her lips are turning blue. She's got shallow breathing. The only way I can describe it is that it seemed like she was just dying right in front of us. And, uh, you know, we, of course, call 911. Ambulance takes her and her mother away. Uh, and I get in the car to follow. And, and all I can think to do just is just start praying. And I, I and calling people to, to pray with me. I call my mom, my dad. My dad's on the golf course. He picks up and prays with me in the middle of his golf round. My, uh, I call my friend from D.C. who I was in a small group with. I was still relatively new to the church, so I didn't know a lot of people at Mercy House. Uh, so I, I called my friend from back in D.C. Who, who prays with me. And then he tries in various ways, including going through Mercy House's Facebook page and contacting people that used to go to Mercy House 
to, to try and get in contact with people in the church so they can reach out to me uh, and to my family and then also start praying for us. Uh, so I got contacted by Lois and by Tommy, uh, and, and Robert comes down from a retreat in New Hampshire, and you know, just a really great testament to the church working together across across uh, you know multiple geographies to 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 reach out to us and also pray for us. And then through all that, my my daughter was ultimately healed um, and is alive and well today. And I, but it was scary for a little while there. Uh, you know, we weren't so sure. Um, and I can be pretty cynical about these things. I'm I'm really tempted to give claims of answered prayer a bit of side-eye, right? Um, I'm trained to hold such claims under scrutiny. That's really, that's how science works. Um, you know, what evidence do we really have that what happened wouldn't have happened anyway? But I have to tell you today, standing here uh, in my house where my daughter is upstairs sleeping right now, I, I can't be cynical about these things. Um, I know God heard my prayer, and I know God heard the prayers of those in the local and global church who were praying on my daughter's behalf. It mattered that we did that. And what's more, this isn't just some feeling that I have. I know from Scripture that this is exactly how God works in the world, through the prayers of his people, through the prayers of his church. So for some of you, you may still struggle with the idea here that you may say that this is a nice um, feeling that I have, but you struggle with this idea that a that an all powerful good God might be bending to our desires. You know, if God is truly sovereign, you know, maybe prayer really isn't about telling Him what we what we want or need. Right? He already knows that. Um, it's about us figuring out what He wants and then just praying for that, figuring out what that is, and then aligning ourselves with that. Uh, we do see consistently in Scripture, you know, that people, when they pray, they give God's will primacy, you know, including that passage from 1 John uh, that I mentioned earlier. And I, I want to admit that this is a truly hard knot to untangle. Um, and so if you're interested, Mercy House U did a series on, on whether or not uh, asking, does prayer work uh, over the summer? It's about uh, eight episodes. It's a, you know, in, the, in podcast form. Uh, where they really unpack the issue from a philosophical point of view. And I found it to be extremely helpful. Um, but rather than you know diving into that very deeply as they do, I want to briefly summarize what I see as the relationship between God being sovereign and the efficacy of our prayer or the effectiveness of our prayer. So I think it is safe to say that God desires our participation uh, uh, in his work in the world. So asking God... Uh, to act in the world is step one of that process. So it sort of appropriately reflects the order of things. Um, the church is actively and consciously depending on God, and God is responding lovingly to his children. This doesn't undermine his sovereignty, uh, but it highlights the role that he has reserved for us in the fulfillment of his will. So we know ultimately that he works all things according to the purpose of his will, but our participation in that work is itself part of his will. So that's how I tend to think about uh, this difficult knot that I was just talking about. So, so just to summarize, why do we pray? We pray because God wants us to. Uh, we pray because we benefit from the act itself. 
And finally, we pray because petitionary prayer works as attested to by scripture, uh, as well as our own experience. Um, so, noting, since we've noted why we should pray, I now want to turn to how we should pray before we start talking about what we should actually be praying about. So, how should we pray? Well, I'm going to give us four ways uh, we should be making our request known to God. So the first way is going to be with rejoicing. So we see in verse 4 of our text, uh, it commands us, Paul commands us to rejoice in light of the gospel and to do so always. So despite the circumstances uh, of this letter, which is for Paul, he's in prison, and for the church at Philippi, there, there's looming persecution on the horizon. Uh, he's saying, despite all of this, that the life of a Christian should be marked by joy in Christ. So there's always going to be times, and maybe even often in our lives, where there's mourning and sadness, and even anger sometimes. But Christians should constantly be reflecting on the nature of God and what he has done for us. And out of the stance of rejoicing that comes from that, uh, that contemplation, we should come to God with not with an attitude of insecurity or angst, but with thanksgiving because of what God has already accomplished. So we should come to God with rejoicing. Uh, we can also come to God boldly. So I think we can apply the command to be anxious in nothing, even to the act of coming to an all-powerful God in prayer. So we need not ask timidly, but with assurance. Hebrews 4.16 tells us, Let us then confidently draw near the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So this is not because of the confidence we have in ourselves. It is our confidence in our high priest that allows us to approach uh, the throne boldly. So we can come with rejoicing. We can come boldly before the throne. Thirdly, I'll say we need to come rightly or with proper motivation. So in James 4, 2 through 3, we read the following. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Now, maybe some of you read that and you start to think, see, I knew there was a catch here. Jesus couldn't possibly really mean, ask anything in my name and I will do it. And in a sense, that's right. You know, we shouldn't expect God to desire for us to succeed in stealing a car or to consistently want to answer those prayers positively. Uh, and, you know, for inherently sinful things, that seems obvious, but James goes even further than that, saying uh, that asking for acceptable or even good things with a sinful or idolatrous attitude can run contrary to God's will. So the phrase, in my name, uh, is doing a lot of work when Jesus says, ask anything. You know, we have to realize that asking in Jesus' name means to appeal to his character, to ask in a manner that is consistent with the very essence of Christ. So when I was a kid, all I wanted to do uh, was play football. And I wanted to play football uh, as a career, as a profession. You know, there's lots of other jobs that I considered as acceptable, and I don't think economists was one of them, but I, uh, I, you know, I was prudent in that way. But what I really wanted, what I really wanted to do was play football. Um, and, you know, that's perfectly acceptable, and lots of people share that dream. Uh, but, you know, lots of kids certainly want to become professional athletes, but, you know, I think most of us probably want the notoriety and the glory and the fame that comes with that. And the money's kind of nice too, right? Uh, and I really wanted to be something, to have something that I love doing so much to be so good at it uh, that people 
would just be in awe at watching me play. Um, but I, you know, was aware of sort of like basic Christian principles toward pride and greed, uh, you know, enough that I knew like I had to justify this passion with some kind of gospel motivation. Um, you know, if I was going to choose this high profile and well-paid profession, I got to be able to say things like, well, think of the influence I can have uh, for the gospel, right? Um, I'll be a role model for kids. I was like 12 at the time thinking about being a role model. Uh, you know, I'll have more money to give away. And all, all of this was just kind of window dressing, right, for the selfish desires that, uh, that I had. Um, and I saw the glory of God as sort of a nice side effect to my own glorification. I was asking wrongly. And I think about that now in my current job, in my current profession, and all that I want from that. Um, you know, all the validation that I desire uh, from those in my profession. And I, you know, and I think God wants us to do good work. Uh, and who doesn't want to feel validated and respected by your peers? But when it primarily becomes about the pride and the value that we obtain from that and, the, and our ultimate purpose lying in that, we have to start to ask, where does our contentment lie? Would I be content in plenty of validation from my peers or in want of that validation? If I was hungry for recognition in my profession or I had a full stock CV, you know, would I feel the same? Would I have the same level of contentment? And I kind of think I wouldn't. You know, and all sorts of desires that we have, we can put under this microscope. Good grades, uh, membership in a particular group, a relationship with the right person, growth of a ministry even. And we, can, and we need to start asking ourselves, you know, how does the, realizing this goal that I'm just desperate uh, to obtain actually advance the kingdom of God? Will it ruin me if I'm passed over in this particular instance? Is it possible that God might be even more glorified when I don't get what I want? It's worthwhile to examine our hearts uh, even when we're asking for good things. So we need to check our motivations. So firstly, we want to approach with rejoicing. We want to approach boldly. And we, we then want to approach uh, with proper motivation or rightly. And finally, I'll note that we should be praying collectively. We should be bringing requests to God collectively. So I'll note that the command here, uh, rejoice, is second person plural. So it's more of a y'all rejoice than a you individual Philippian Christian rejoice. Uh, and we can look to the Lord's Prayer as well, where we see that Jesus instructs us to pray, uh, Our Father, forgive us our debts. We're not meant to keep our requests to ourselves. If you have a burden or a need that you wish to humbly plead with God, let your brothers and sisters know so that we can humbly plead with you. Ask your friend to pray with you. Ask your small group to pray with you. Ask an elder to pray for you. Ask your spouse, your children to pray for you. We also uh, had this past Wednesday uh, a meeting where we got together as a church to pray for various needs. Um, praying collectively uh, for our collective desires together is 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 envisioned in scripture uh, and is part of the gospel. It's part of what we see modeled in scripture. So we should pray uh, with rejoicing, boldly, rightly, or with proper motivation, and collectively. So we've looked at why we should pray and how we should pray. Well, what should we actually be praying about? 
So I'm going to use the example of Paul to start off with. And uh, the first thing we can see is in verse 9 of our text, uh, Paul is encouraging the Philippians to practice what they have seen in him, using his own practice as an example. So for our purposes, with respect to prayer, what have they seen Paul modeling? Um, so in Philippians chapter 1, we actually have an example of this. After thanking God for the Philippians' partnership in the gospel, he then says in verses 9 through 11, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So we see in this prayer that he's primarily concerned uh, with the maturity and growth of the Philippians' faith. So our growth as individuals and as a church should be a constant item on our prayer list. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us in righteous action, thinking, and relationships. We can't do it on our own. Uh, so we should be thinking about ourselves and each other, uh, encouraging each other, um, and also praying for each other that our maturity in faith would continue to, to, to develop. So secondly, uh, so first, uh, maturity in faith, we see Paul praying for. Second, we see him praying for the defense and spread of the gospel. So in Ephesians 6, 18 through 19, uh, we read, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for the word that for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So the spread of the gospel is like an almost single-minded concern of Paul's, uh, which we see reflected uh, many times throughout Scripture, including in the letter to the Philippians. Uh, that should be right at the top of our list as well. Uh, so we see Paul praying uh, often and regularly for that. We should be praying for the defense and spread of the gospel locally uh, and globally. Uh, so we want to see the gospel spread uh, here in Amherst as well uh, as other locations and around the world. So first, we see Paul praying for maturity and faith. Second, we see him praying for the defense and spread of the gospel. And third, I think we can see Paul's example for praying for temporal needs. In 2 Corinthians he mentions that he pleads with the Lord for a thorn in his flesh to be removed. And we typically think of that, uh, we, that's typically thought to be some type of ailment or illness that he's talking about. And, you know, this is really kind of, I think, the meat of what we think about when we think about petitionary prayer. And again, this is kind of the easiest thing to think about praying um, for. But I would suggest that we, we probably don't really fully explore its power on a daily basis. You know, how much ground do we really cover on a day-to-day -day basis? I think we can think of the scope of this problem if we start working out through these kind of expanding concentric circles, starting with ourselves and our family, and then kind of expanding outward. So uh, for ourselves and our family, I think most of us are pretty good about doing some of this. You know, we kind of know what, again, we know what we want, we know what's giving us trouble, uh, and we tend to be able to turn to God in, in moments of need. But, you know, there's a lot that we maybe take for granted sometimes. You know, our children, our jobs, our studies, our homes, um, our meals, which is our daily bread, uh, our health, which is, you know, kind of our daily breath, right? All of these things are things we could be thanking God and in turn uh, petitioning God for, right? Um, and so that's something that we maybe could be a little bit more intentional about doing on a regular basis. Uh, we can expand outward and start to think about praying for the local church. 
you know, praying for members of the church, for the elders and staff of the church, you know, praying for specific ministries, praying for our daily financial bread as a church, uh, and pr- then praying for specific ways we'd like to see the church start to impact the community um, and start to reach out in missions, for, uh, for example. So that kind of leads us to expanding further and thinking about praying for the community. How, how tune, tuned in are we to the issues that are facing our community? What's troubling our neighbors? If we love our neighbors as ourselves, are we praying for them as ourselves? Do we even know how to? We can expand further and start to think about praying at the national level. So this is a, a, we can think about praying for the broader Christian community in, the, in, in this country, as well as you know, the actions of private institutions, and of course praying for those in authority over us. So we see in 1 Timothy 2.2 2, that we're commanded to, do, to pray for those that are in authority over us. Then we can think about expanding even further into the, to praying for global issues and praying for the global church, where there's lots of opportunities for the spread of the gospel, but also lots of persecution that we could be praying for, interceding on behalf of the global church. Additionally, things like wars and famine and oppression and natural disasters are all too common in our world. Uh, and each of those is an instance for us to pray uh, specifically to God, bringing petitions before him. That's a lot to pray about. And we're really only scratching the surface. I mean, we can take an example. So, for example, the CDC estimates about 2 million people abused opioids in 2018 in the U.S. And I have kind of a hard time visualizing that, so I like to think about uh, looking down on cities, and, and it turns out that the, the size of the combined Springfield and Hartford metro areas, uh, that's about 2 million people. There's, so we can think about going up on the Holyoke Range, sort of looking out towards Hartford, which you can see on a clear day, and then look, turning around and looking the other direction, which is still mostly part of the Springfield metro area. And that whole area encompasses the size of that issue uh, in the United States today. That's the size of the crater that this, this is left in our country. It's a ton of need and a ton of suffering. And I just don't feel, and it's just a, it's a, it's a sliver of, of the type of hurt that people are facing in the world today. And I don't feel like my prayer life is really capturing that kind of need for heavenly intervention. So how do we even get started uh, to grapple with these things? Well, the first way we're going to need to start is to, is to pray for prayer. So there's no way we can effectively pray without the work of the Holy Spirit. No person is able to effectively pray without uh, God's help. So praying for prayer is appropriate. Um, second, we should be intentional. So on a more practical level, intentionally writing down things, uh, specific needs and issues from each of these expanding circles uh, is a way to focus but also have a record of what you've been praying. Third, I'll say we should be consistent in our prayer. Um, you know, there's lots for us to pray for. We need to be consistent in order to cover that kind of ground. And, you know, I get really discouraged um, whenever I miss a period of time, whether it's a day or a week uh, of prayer, or I have gotten super discouraged when that's happened in the past. And, you know, it kind of feeds back on itself. So I don't want this to be a burden but just an encouragement that, you know, there's lots for us to pray, uh, pray about. So, you know, let's be consistent in this. Let's persist in praying because there's lots of need out there. Um, another, maybe another helpful uh, tool would be to use uh, a liturgy. So some sort of pre-written prayer 
as a more regular part of your spiritual diet. So um, examples include things like Psalms, uh, the Book of Common Prayer, uh, the Valley of Vision. Uh, each of these are, are sort of scriptural, uh, in the case of Psalms, scriptural or scripturally sound prayers uh, that we can be praying and focusing on their meeting rather than uh, attempting to come up with something on the spot. And in doing so, there's a sense in which we're praying with the author and those who might be praying the same prayer elsewhere, sort of connecting uh, across time and space with other people in prayer. Um, fifth, I'll say that we should keep informed about what's going on in the world. Know who our elected officials are. Uh, use resources like the Joshua Project to pray for all nations, especially those that are unreached. And finally, I'll say we, we should not stop when we say amen. Right? Um, so if in the Good Samaritan story, Either the priest or the Levite had yelled, you know, thoughts and prayers as they passed by the man beaten and dying on the road. I don't think we would let them off the hook uh, any more than we do with the story as it is. Like, it doesn't change our perception about the justice of their actions. They should have helped the guy. You know, the morally responsible thing to do was to act there and give aid. Um, you know, I think we see this in, in Paul, too, in praying for the continued development of faith in his brothers and sisters in Philippi. He then writes another three chapters encouraging and instructing them on how to grow in the faith. Um, and with respect to the defense and spread of the gospel, well, nobody can accuse Paul of an action there or lack of participation uh, in this prayer that the gospel be proclaimed. He dedicated his whole life to it and died for it. Part of the participation that God desires in us is certainly coming to him in our complete insufficiency and asking for him to provide. But the other part is then that God wants to work through the vessel of his church to enact his will. So we should be ready and willing to act out this part. So some suggestions for connecting that prayer to action. Uh, you know, We should pray for things that we feel like we have a lot of control over because ultimately we don't. Uh, so make a conscious effort to recognize our need for daily bread, uh, where we're tempted to think we're self-sufficient. And second, we can also ask for God to guide us uh, in right action regarding, uh, regarding what we're praying for if we don't know. And if we do know what right action looks like, we should do it, right? So if we, be if we want to do well on a test, we should study. Uh, if we want to reach the nations with the gospel, we could give to ministries that do that or consider doing it ourselves. Uh, if there's a political issue or societal ill that moves us to prayer, we can consider the actions that we can take uh, and as a private citizen and alleviate that problem. So um, we can pray for all sorts of temporal needs, for the spread of the gospel and the defense of the gospel, and we can pray uh, for maturity and faith. But who should be praying these types of things? Well, this letter to the Philippians is a very affectionate letter where Paul's talking to brothers and sisters, he says, or partners in the gospel. Um, it's an in-house discussion in a lot of respects. And while it's not impossible for God to answer prayers of unbelievers, um, there, and there's instances where this seems to take place uh, in the Bible, the promise of the peace of God that surpasses all understanding that we see in verse 7 of our text, that's promised to us in Christ. So if we don't believe in Christ, then our hearts and minds can't really be guarded in Christ. So if you're here today and you are not a Christian, I want you to know that most of us, of what we've talked about today with regard to petitionary prayer, 
including that promise of answered prayer in the peace of God, I, I want you to be able to experience that too. And I want to invite you uh, to trust in Christ Jesus if you're listening to this and, and repent of your sins and be reconciled to God on account of Christ's sacrifice. In doing so, you can have access to the throne of grace uh, and become a son or a daughter of God and not an enemy uh, and trust him as a father who cares for us and, and, and then in turn we can depend on his grace in answering. So if you have questions about that, uh, you can feel free to contact somebody at the church, uh, one of the staff or elders. Uh, I'm available as well uh, to chat with you if you want to get in contact with me. Uh, and we'd love to be able to put some of this sermon series into practice uh, and pray for you. Uh, for those of us that are, are trusting in Christ, uh, this isn't something that's reserved uh, to those who are, are good at praying, right? Um, but all who trust in Christ are able to approach the throne, uh, not just some, to ask our Father for our daily bread. So as God meets our needs and provides, a, and provides for us our daily bread uh, in response to our petitions, all the more so when we gather weekly at Mercy House and partake in the bread of the Lord's Supper together, God meets us in our need at the table. And at the table, we are reminded as we take the bread and drink the cup that we are sustained by the grace of God. We are reliant on him, that the sacrifice of his body is what gives us hope in a future. This is not a hope that's founded on our own efforts, but by the work of Christ on the cross. So we read in scripture that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us remember God's provision as we eat and drink and as we humbly, humbly make our requests known to him. Let's pray. God, you are good, you are righteous, you are holy. There is none like you in the whole earth. Nothing we could accomplish or achieve can ever match the mighty works of your hands. We are a people of unclean lips, and we confess we have fallen short, both individually and collectively, of your holy standard. We confess we think too little of you, and so neglect to pray. We don't trust your provision, so we don't ask. We seek our own glorification, so we ask wrongly. God, help us to come to you humbly and rightly, seeking your glory first in our prayer and petition. We thank you for your provision of Jesus Christ as the sacrifice for our sins. We thank you for the church and the work of its ministry in our lives. And we thank you for the hope we have in our heavenly inheritance. God, we pray today that you would make this church a praying church one that has the instinct to first pray in response to all kinds of situations. Give us a desire to seek your will first in everything we do by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Amen.